Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, na'hamaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. So day two of Quran class, it may be that Ramadan starts tonight, but the math indicates it'll probably be tomorrow, but uh, we'll wait and find out. In any case, uh, before we jump into the material, does anyone have any questions from yesterday, anything at all? related directly or loosely i just want to comment that writing 25 things was very difficult uh -huh. um was it difficult because it was emotionally difficult or just because you couldn't find 25 relationships at first i couldn't find 25 and then i was like oh i think i have to be more specific okay this will make it a little easier and then it was just sad <laughs> okay yeah fair enough yeah that's uh, part of the point of the uh, assignment, not to make you sad, but to do a self-assessment of where we are. Wait, I'm sorry. What 25 things? Uh, 25 ways that you can pay me back. No, no, 25. Uh. Look, at uh, it's two lists, actually three, but list number one is uh, list out your 25 closest relationships. And then list two is is to list out what should be your 25 closest relationships and then part three is to think of one baby step to improve one of those relationships usually the baby step is something as simple as increasing communication with one of those people and and so the overall goal in relationship to this whole idea that that you know, central to Dean is connections and relationships. It's that much of your Dean you find in how you conduct your relationships. But that is the uh, assignment for those who choose to do it. And then I'm happy to further discuss individually with anyone and everyone. So, any other questions, comments, reflections on the material so far? I mean, literally, we went through one letter. Okay, if not, let us uh, jump back in. Let me turn on the screen share. And once again, someone give me some gesture to let me know that you can see. Okay, perfect. And let me load up the chat box here too. Okay, so the central point from yesterday is that much of your life, much of your religion is found in connections. And then the question becomes, how do we approach the connections? So the first line of the Quran is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So this is called the Basmallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And the first answer to the, the question of connections is in the first term here, Bismillah. So the simple translation, as I'm sure most or all of you know, Bismillah is in or with the name of Allah. So what are we saying here? And this is probably intuitive. The first connection to focus on is your connection with Allah. So for example, those of you who, who did the exercise is Allah on either of your lists in terms of relationships. Some people will include them. 
may or may not be at the top if people are being honest and some people might forget to include uh, Allah. And in the context of namaz, in the context of salah, I mentioned five core connections, um, which you're seeking in terms of prayer. One is your connection with Allah. The second is with the Prophet, peace be upon him. It is in the model of the Prophet that we do the prayers. The third is a connection with nature, because it's according to nature where the sun is in the sky that we know the prayer times, or the moon that we know uh, the, the, month, the months. And then a fourth is a connection with the community. Community is everything. It includes family. It includes the greater Muslim community. It includes your greater society and your neighbors. It includes a greater experience of humanity. All of those. And then the fifth is your connection with yourself. And especially in the context of the self, think of the gesture that you're doing when you're making a dua. That if you're making your dua like this, effectively what you're doing, you're saying, Ya Allah, please give me. Right? If you're holding your hands up like this, you're probably making the same prayers, but it's as though you're holding a mirror to your heart and you're reflecting what your heart is saying. And so if you are not asking for anything in your du'as, it's as though you're telling Allah there's nothing in your heart. And so we're encouraged to have an abundance of requests upon Allah. And we'll talk about all these things little by little. The core point I'm I'm just re-emphasizing is connections. And then from there... The first connection being the connection with Allah. Having said that, what are different ways that a person can have a relationship or a connection with Allah? How would you answer this question? Anything. Think of anything that can come to mind. Anybody. Dania. Sorry? Dhikr, just remembrance. So dhikr can be formal remembrance of Allah by repeating the names of Allah, or it can just be having Allah on your consciousness. Even dhikr is one of the names of the Quran. Dhikr is also one of the names of the daily prayer. Uh, sure. What else? What else are ways to have a relationship or a connection with Allah? Anything. It doesn't have to be nice. Uh, uh, Sadia, repeat what you're saying. Yeah, making so, dua, talking to him. So both of those. So think of dua. The word itself means to call out. So you're calling out to Allah, and that can be either asking from Allah, or it could be just your own personal conversation with Allah. So let's just call these uh, ways of connection. Could also analyze into uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's, a, that's a very good one. So one is dhikr, another is dua, another is conversation. Another is analyzing creation. And built into analyzing creation is probably appreciation of creation, leading to appreciation of the creator. One side point to think about that we'll be revisiting much later on is if we were to speak of the ethos of the environment, how does the environment operate? At the core, the environment is saying, Look at me, reflect upon me, use me, but appreciate my creator. Look at my beauty, you know, appreciate how I am constructed. Look at how everything is integrated together. And then as a consequence, appreciate my creator. In the same way that if I'm looking at a work of art, if I'm looking at uh, the Mona Lisa, part of the appreciation is of the Mona Lisa, part of the appreciation is of Da Vinci right? 
or if I'm looking at one of the statues of Michelangelo, whether it's David or Pieta or whatever the case may be, part of it is appreciation of the statue. Part of it is appreciation of the artist. Likewise, that is the ethos of the environment, that the environment is saying, appreciate me, partake of me, but in so doing, appreciate my creator. What else? What else are other possible ways to have a our, our relationship with people, um, our our connection with uh, our day to day interaction with not just our the people, the environment, the yeah. um, um, you know it, it could be my job. Why that really helps me connect with Allah because of my intention. Yeah, totally. And effectively, what are we saying that how I uh, frame something? Every single thing I do can be a relationship with Allah. All my actions can be a relationship with Allah. Uh, if I frame them with that level of consciousness. And these are levels also of faith. Also, if we consider um, you know, paycheck every two weeks, you look at the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from it. So uh, we're going to call that gratitude. Uh, appreciating whatever it is that Allah ta'ala has bestowed upon you is definitely a central way of having a connection with Allah. Okay, the, all of these are, mashallah, very good. The first step, however, is to know who is Allah. So the first step in having a relationship with Allah is to get to know who is Allah. And how do we get to know who is Allah by way of his names or attributes? And the first name or attribute is the name Allah itself. And Jewel also just posted a really good one. Uh, it's reflection upon death. Uh, that's also a really good one. So a way to have a relationship with Allah is to first know who is Allah, which by extension also means who is not Allah. And so when we speak of the names of Allah, the first name to get to know of Allah is, of course, the name Allah. And I'm going to give you some etymology, some theories of of the name Allah. Yeah. So in terms of theories, there's essentially two core theories. One theory is that the name Allah has always been present. At least in the Arabic language or what we might call proto-Arabic or pre-Arabic. Uh, another is that the name Allah is a contraction of Al-Ilah And so now I have to define what we mean by ilah. So we say la ilaha, same word, illallah. There is no God, lowercase g, but God, capital G. So when we're speaking in Arabic uh, using this word ilah, I'm going to give you a couple of meanings, not necessarily any particular order, more as the order that I remember them. Everyone takes something or some things as an ilah. Likewise, that which I claim to take as an ilah may or may not be the same thing that I in reality take as an ilah. So what does it mean to take something as an ilah? It's whatever you rely upon above all else to fulfill a few innate needs. One innate need is whatever it is you rely upon to take you from danger into safety or to keep you into safety. So think of safety as being an innate need and danger being something that to avoid. Whatever I rely upon above all else 
for safety is what I take as an ilah. So, for example, if I go camping, who here goes camping? Anyway, Davish, are you a camper? Davish is like the only place I go camping is the Apple store. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So imagine the things you would take for purposes of safety for uh, uh, if you go camping. You might take water, might take a knife, tent, bug spray, bear spray, you know, whatever it is that'll make a cocaine bear go away. You know, so whatever it is you're relying upon for safety, gun. Now imagine <laughs> there's a storm in the middle of the night. You're in the middle of this forest and everything gets washed away to such a degree that you have no idea where it is. And Jewel will take a stuffed animal. So when you have nothing left, then what do you rely upon? At that point, you go into prayer. Or maybe you might rely upon your instincts and you decide, all right, there's a sun. Let me just keep walking and walking. Hopefully, I'll run into civilization. And then three hours later, you realize you've been walking in a circle. Then what do you rely upon? So essentially, we're saying above all else or after all else, what you rely upon is what you take as an ilah. So it may be after you've fried everything, all you're relying upon is luck, hoping somebody hears you. Or you might fall into despair. Thinking this is hopeless, there's no hope. Maybe you're just going to keep praying. That is what you take as an ilah. What do you rely upon above all else? Or whatever it is you rely upon to take you from despair into hope is what you take as an ilah. So in the way in our society, a lot of people might turn to the bottle to take them out of despair. Or a lot of youngsters might turn to TikTok to take them out of despair and just look for something to, to make them happy. Uh, whatever it is you rely upon to keep you in hope, think of hope as an innate need. Whatever it is you rely upon above all else for this is what you take as an ilah. Or what you rely upon to take you from confusion to clarity is what you take as an ilah. And this is especially relevant with how many ideas we get hit with. How do you figure out what to follow? So do I vax or am I anti-vax? Probably we might say, well, I rely upon science. Now you probably actually rely upon somebody you trust who might be relying upon science, right? So for all my vaccine, vaccination questions, that was relying upon my brother-in-law physician, if not my own physician, right? As opposed to WhatsApp University. And so, so the point is, whatever it is you rely upon to take you from confusion into clarity is what you are taking as an ilah. Whatever it is you're relying upon for comfort, the way a baby relies upon mom, is what you take as an ilah. So not your pillow, not your circle of friends, but in your core, where do you derive comfort from? But the so biggest term, Yeah. So is that when you're saying this, are you talking about the first instinct or you're talking at the core, at the last end of the like what you rely on? In because naturally, naturally, like our fitness just comes out, right? Like despite what we depend on. So in theory, your first instinct and your last would be the same thing, but it depends upon how complicated a person has gotten through life that very often we'll have routines in how we turn to things that may or may not be the same immediately. So in theory, yes, you have this natural state called your fitra, and as a result of you, this natural state, you automatically have a connection to a law. But as you're being raised through life, that natural state might get buried. Make sense? Yeah, um, 
please focus on the road. Okay, so anyway, worship uh, is the the big thing here. And so what does it mean to worship something? The word in Arabic that most of you are familiar with is ibadah. And the literal translation of ibadah is to give your most extreme love. So everyone gives ibadah to an ilah, which is to give your most extreme love. So I might self-identify as an atheist, but I am doing ibadah to something. It could be my intellect. It could be my ego, my sense of self. It could be something else. Or I could claim to be Muslim. And if you were somehow able to read my heart, you might see I am giving my most extreme love to Allah. Or I might claim to be Muslim and I might give my most extreme love to what people think of me. And so everyone takes something as in ilah in the sense that everyone does ibadah to something. Right? So ibadah is not necessarily simply servitude. There's a, a willful content to it, whether or not it's conscious and it is through the thrust or the feeling, the sentiment of love. So that's what it means to take something as an ilah. So when we're speaking of Allah as al-ilah, we're speaking of Allah as the ilah to turn to. So when we're saying the, the first half of the declaration of faith, that there is no ilah but Allah, we're making two points among others. that turn away from all else all else you might be taking as an ilah but also nothing else can fulfill these needs so I might turn to the bottle but the intoxication wears off right uh, I might rely upon whatever for safety, but eventually that's not going to uh, sustain. And so only Allah, when we're saying la ilaha illallah, there is no ilah but Allah. Only Allah can truly fulfill these innate needs. Hmm. All right. So this is the first name. The name uh, Allah and the point of the first name is this is our first step of having a connection to Allah. Second is the name Ar-Rahman and then Ar-Rahim. So now let's speak about these names. Two more steps in which through which to have connections with Allah. And again, for a lot of us, this might be repetition, but this is to get everybody on the same page. Uh, for starters, uh, as you know, this is these are Arabic terms. Arabic terms almost always come from a three-letter root. Three-letter root, rahima, here uh, is the root for both of these. And so this is the word that rahma comes from, which has two parts. One part of rahma is mercy. That's the part we always remember. 
someone define for us what is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? Hey, Bilal, how would you define mercy if I'm being merciful to you? Um, trying to think of a definition without using the word. Um, to, I'm just thinking of it in like, I know it's not the same as like forgiving, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking of it in like the sense of like, just showing like how like a person shows mercy on another person. So just yeah. kind of like going, not like going easy on them, but just like, you know, like, oh, that's exactly I mean, yeah, it. yeah, going easy on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mercy means I have the capability of causing you difficulty and I relent. Mercy means I might have justification to cause you difficulty and I ease up. So mercy is to give ease, but that's half of Rahma. The other half of Rahma is intimacy. That's the part we always forget. So the primary relationship that Allah has with creation is Rahma. A primary purpose of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is to be living Rahmah for all the worlds. Primary relationship between believers is Rahmah. And one half of it is to give ease to each other. And so a default relationship that Allah has with creation is giving ease. And the easiest way to evaluate that is no matter how horrendous your life is, it could always be worse. Which is a concept to consider. But it becomes intimacy when the mercy receiver recognizes it. And then that becomes this handshake where I'm recognizing Allah is giving me this mercy. And so then the result of that should be gratitude. So that was the point that I was making earlier, that gratitude being one of the central relationships with Allah, or central ways of having a connection with Allah, this is throughout the entire tradition. So a central way for me to have a connection with Allah, one aspect of it is to get to know who is Allah, and another aspect is to be grateful to Allah. The more gratitude I have to Allah, by definition, the more iman I have, the more faith I have. Danya. You know, I never um, thought of this before and, until this discussion. I know I've had this discussion with you like many times, but rahim also um, womb. means womb. And I think that's so special, actually, just, just thinking about it. Explain. Explore. Um, especially like that, the intimacy part. I mean, is there anything closer than the womb? Like mm -hmm. being, Like a child being in their mother's womb, literally like every source of survival is from this womb and that womb can control everything like the outcome um mm -hmm. it could go hard or easy on that that fetus um and that child so it's it's really and that, that closeness like you can feel everything mm -hmm. um so I, I don't know that's just another layer I'm, I'm still kind of exploring as we're talking about it let's make it more fun so your point is absolutely correct <clears throat> in terms of lifespan oh whoops wrong thing so the lifespan that we go through has a couple of phases okay 
And so the phase you're referring to is when you're in your mother's womb. And then we go from there into dunya. And then from there into barzakh. Right, the condition of being dead. And then we start the DOJ, Day of Judgment, right? Prior to this, we're going to call it pre-eternity. Yeah. And so you enter your mother's womb, give or take 120 days after conception. You enter dunya, enter, exit your mother's womb at birth. You enter the barzakh, leaving the dunya at death, right? And then you leave the barzakh and begin the day of judgment with resurrection. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, this is basically the lifespan of a person. So here, how did Danya define the mother, the mother's womb? You're in this intimacy. It's this experience that can be easy or hard. On top of that, all of your nourishment is there being provided for you. So what is happening from the period of your mother's womb to birth is you're moving from one womb to the next womb. That the way you just described the experience of the mother's womb is then the experience of all of us in this dunya. The risk, the sustenance is there. We might have to take a few steps to actually find it, right? This is what we appreciate in the story of Hajar and Ismail, may Allah, be, may Allah peace be upon them, that she said to Ibrahim al-Islam, did, okay, did Allah tell you to leave us here in this barren valley? Yes, well, then Allah is going to take care of us. She had to go look for the food, and where did the zamzam wind up being? Where she was sitting. But it was unleashed because baby Ismail is on the floor kicking his feet, and then that unleashed the, the, the well. Had she just sat there, wouldn't have happened. And she had to go look, put, his baby, put her baby on the ground, unleash the well, and now she has sustenance, right? And so the point being... Uh, that we are moving from the raham of the mother into the raham of this dunya. With many of the same rules, just manifesting differently. So yeah, this, uh, this idea of raham is all over the entirety of creation. Any other thoughts, reflections, comments so far? Okay, so... When we speak of Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, when we find them together, commentators say that Ar-Rahman is the metaphor of Ar-Rahman is sort of like the sun or the rain. And Ar-Rahim is like a mother to her child. And the point here is that when it's raining, it rains on everybody. It doesn't matter what your character is. It doesn't matter what your belief is. There's an aspect of God's mercy for everyone, whether people recognize it or not, that continues for everyone. And then a mother's love for her child. Imagine you have a mother with one child and she's babysitting four other children, like her nieces and nephews. And she loves all of them, but she's not going to love the others the way she loves her own child. There's still a fundamental difference. Right. I mean, of course, you know, 
if the child is a teenager, she'll probably hate her child. No, no, no. But anyway, so the point here is that the love that the mother has for her own child is completely unique. So at the same time, Allah has a general relationship of Rahmah with everyone, with each of us. He also has a unique relationship of Rahmah with each of us. So the relationship of Rahmah that Allah has with me is distinct from the relationship of Rahmah he has with Noreen, which is different, distinct than what he has with Nadia and Sana and so forth and so on. And then especially Kibria, like I don't even want to know what that is like. But the point here is that Allah Ta'ala has a unique relationship of Rahmah with each person. And so this is another aspect of the intimacy. Okay. So to take this point a step further, a point I introduced is that, okay, your existence as Allah is putting things in your life, but your whole existence as Allah is giving you different forms of Rahmah by design for you in that moment of your life. Okay, this is the point I'm going to repeat in all kinds of different words over the course of these next few weeks, inshallah. That Allah, every moment of your life is a moment that Allah is putting a Rahmah in your life designed specifically for you in that moment of your life. You might, however, receive the Rahmah in some cases as an ease. In other cases, you might receive it as a struggle. In some cases, you might receive it as having to make a difficult decision. They could be both good decisions, or they could be choosing between two bad options, right? Or you might have to make uh, another uh, 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 another aspect of the Rahmah might be that Allah is telling you to do something, like fast. And the experience of fasting might be a struggle for some people, might be an ease for some people. How we receive it is different, but by default, every experience I'm receiving is a formation, a nugget of rahma. Now, of course, if someone has a disease, you know, or someone just has death in family, you don't walk up and say, hey, this is a rahma from Allah. Okay, that obviously you don't do. But in terms of my own consciousness of my own life experience. Nadia. Oh, that was kind of my question. So if, if every struggle you receive is a mercy, I mean, like all of it, like if a serial killer comes and stabs you in the head, that like, are we... Oh, those remarkably specific, but... Oh, uh, I just wanted to scream. <laughs> so, okay, got it, got it. Apparently, <laughs> apparently the new scream has... All I'm, not, I'm not really crazy. In which people <laughs> have been slashed. Yeah, um, yeah so, so how far does that go? It's infinity, but a way to think about it is, and we'll get to this in about four ayahs, uh, we can't include this world without including the Day of Judgment. So the worst thing that can happen in this world is death, right? So if you get killed, then what happens to you in the Day of Judgment? You got a paradise. See what I'm saying? That if we don't include the Day of Judgment, then definitely there's a lot of things in this world that are not Rahmah. If we include the Day of Judgment, then a lot of the bad things of this world might be good things in the Day of Judgment. So I'll give you the worst, worst, worst example that I can think of real life that some of you have taken the class with me before I've heard from me. Uh, I had a friend who had a niece who had this disease, uh, which call, was called something like Debra, dermis, something, something, something. And her skin was so fragile from before birth 
that if you would touch it, she would start bleeding. And so her whole existence for every moment of her life was her parents or someone would have to put gauze covering up her whole skin. And by the time they put gauze on her whole body, it was all bloody. So they had to then remove it all carefully and then put on new gauze 24 seven. And to consume anything, it had to be the softest liquid because it also, the problem was in her esophagus. Uh, so I don't know of too many examples of things that are worse than that. There are many things that are horrible, like torture and all those things. Um, and so this was her whole plight and her parents' plight in taking care of her for eight years until she passed away. From a dunya perspective, there is nothing good about that that I can imagine. From an Akhira perspective, what happens to this baby? Straight to paradise. Yeah. So on the one hand, I'm absolutely saying everything that's coming from Allah is a rahma. But that's not a, a thing that me as chaplain in the office will say, yeah, you know, your whole house burned down. That's a rahmah from Allah. But in terms of how we frame what's happening in life, this is a small concept right now that we'll give more depth to, inshallah. Right. But as a simple concept, Nadia, what do you think? Yeah, that makes sense. So, so this is not saying ignore your struggles because that's often dishonest. This is what a lot of religious people do do. That they go through a tragedy and they say, Allah does not give us anything we can't handle. And then they don't go through a process of grief, which everyone has to do. And then it catches up with them in all kinds of bizarre ways. And I'll be sharing all those stories too, inshallah. Bilal, you raise your hand. Sorry, I was saying bye to someone who's leaving. Oh, okay. That's fine. All righty. So <clears throat> we've now gone through Bismillah. And the core point being that a primary connection is with Allah, and the primary way of having a connection with Allah is by the names of Allah, and the primary name is the name Allah. One other point to consider about the name Allah is that this is considered to be the most sacred utterance. Allah al-Jalala. This is the best thing that your tongue can say. And what's fascinating is if you contrast this with Judaism, the name of God is so sacred, you can't say it. It can only be stated in certain specific, very, very specific context. In Islam, it is so sacred that you should say it as much as possible. So your next assignment, should you choose to accept it, sorry, Mission Impossible, should you choose to accept it, is start memorizing if you haven't already, the 99 names of Allah. We have three of them. We're only going to get a few more in this class. But start memorizing them with the intention of recitation. So the easiest way to memorize is not so much, okay, let me just get all 99, as opposed to starting from today, make it a regular practice just to say Allah X number of times. Let's say 100 times. That's about 100 seconds. And then tomorrow... Allah ar-Rahman, Allah ar-Rahman, Allah ar-Rahman. And then next day, Allah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And keep building that way. And it'll take about four months. Inshallah. Okay. Having said that, uh, then we spoke of the second common names of Allah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And the central aspect being Rahma. And Rahma is mercy and intimacy, both general and unique. 
Any questions, comments, reflections? About anything from today? Sure, or yesterday or in general. Okay. We can talk about Scream 7 if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I totally understand like the point and like why you wouldn't just like go to someone and say like your house burned down. Like that's like a rahmah from Allah. But yeah. like, I'm just like wondering just like Islamically, like what is just like bad about that? Is it just like the, is it just like a general like empathy thing or like I'm just- Yeah, wondering. I mean, essentially in terms of uh, what a person needs when they're in need, more often than not is not scripture. More often than not, they need suhbah, they need companionship, right? And uh, I mean, I remember when I, uh, this is this is 20 some years ago, my then father-in-law, when he passed away, there were some people that started quoting all these ayahs and I would have to, in my mind, think, and I wouldn't say it, okay, bro, I know more than you do. I don't need to hear these 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 references. Uh, and so, so the point is that in the case of the suffering of a person, you want to figure out what is the proper medication. And for an occasional person, what they need to hear is that this is a Rahmah from Allah. Uh, and that is usually the case of someone who has a very high, deep level of faith. Uh, for most people, however, it doesn't mean that they're weak of faith, but what they need is something often more simple, you know, and usually it's just compassion. Make sense? It does. Can I ask something kind of like related to that then? Of course. So with, so obviously like that's like the issue with doing that with other people, but then like with doing that with yourself, you were mentioning that like, then people will kind of not go through like the grieving processes yes. um, that they need to go through. But like, I've also like heard in like, you know, some khutbahs where it's like, uh, regardless of a situation, you should always like try to say like, you know, Alhamdulillah, like in any situation. And so that's something I've been like trying to internalize. Mm -hmm. And so like, it is, What's like, I'm just kind of like wondering like the difference between yeah. doing that, but then also like. Okay, know, another like, deep question. So there's two parts to that. <clears throat> when you are reciting these names of Allah, it becomes a type of uh, programming, right? You know, like, just like, you know, there's the running joke that when you want to speak horribly bad about someone, you just follow it up with bless your heart. You know, like this is the ugliest person I've ever met. Bless their heart, right? <laughs> Part of that is, is you know, neural training, you're, you're reprogramming. Are you looking at something? Uh, but likewise, when you're going through struggle, you also have to go through your own process of, of healing. So one example I have is a person who, horrible car accident. Um, the uh, They were driving like in a giant Ford Explorer type SUV. They got hit with a little tiny car, like a Prius-sized car, so hard that the car flipped over. Yeah. And this guy's a trauma physician, and he's watching his 12-year-old daughter die. If anybody could have helped her, it would have been the, him, the trauma physician, but he was pinned down. So the approach he took is Allah does not give us a burden we can't handle. Okay, Therefore, I can handle this. But a person needs to grieve. The easiest example of that is that the Prophet, peace be upon him, would miss Khadija long after she passed away. right? Or when Jafar, his cousin, died, he's in tears telling you know, his nieces and nephews. And so if there's anybody who was human, it was him. And so, so the point is that this person who refused to go through a process of grieving then started going through these, these bizarro directions where he started writing letters to the White House saying, I no longer follow your law. I only follow the laws of Allah. He'd send letters to the FBI about this. When he'd go to Juma and he disapproved of whatever he understood the Khatib to say, he would stand up and start interrupting. 
right? And the conversation that I would have with him year after year, he lived out of town was, bro, you're just not grieving over your child's death. You think you're being pious. What's actually happened is this is the way your system is trying to cope. He refused to listen to all that until 10 years after his daughter's death, he was having a conversation with his son saying, I still miss your sister. And the son said, in 10 years, you never asked us how we felt. And then his eyes started opening up a little bit. I don't know that he changed. But the point is like when you go through a rupture, like the death of a family, a family member or something, it's literally a rupture that you have to work on healing, both in terms of what someone is giving you as well as what you are giving yourself. And so a person can be of such a level of faith that Alhamdulillah is what they need. But I'm saying that was not even enough for the Prophet, peace be upon him. He also missed people he lost. Or think of the of Hamza, his uncle, who's killed in the Battle of Uhud by Wahshi. And then Wahshi later becomes Muslim and then comes to the Prophet, peace be upon him, saying, I have become Muslim. And the way it's described is that the Prophet had so much pain in his face because he was remembering Hamza that he accepted Wahshi becoming Muslim, but he said, I can't look at you. Right. And so it makes sense. It does. Thank you. Yeah, I think the other approaches are often emotionally dishonest. You know, and thus they are spiritual lies. Any other questions? And you all noticed like my the, the arrow came up because I was holding my hand. This is the cool thing about technology. Uh, any other questions, comments, reflections about anything? I think Tabish had something to say. Tabish, what do you got? Yeah, um, I was uh, actually reflecting on one of the latter points of the of the discussion today on the names, uh, particularly the name Allah itself, and uh, relating it back to an aspect of mercy. Uh, I always think about like breathing or breath in general as like one of the most intimate forms of our own, like being granted a form of mercy. And I think about like when you say the name Allah. Uh, as a syllable in a way it's like it's as if you're exhaling and in, uh, inhaling and exhaling like 100%. Allah so uh, I just want to share that no that's really wonderful like I mean building on your point this is a cool thing this is getting more into uh, the the mystics so we have the name Allah right exactly as you said and then remove the beginning then we have Lillah and then remove the beginning we have Lahu for him and then remove the, the beginning of that. Then you have ha, uh, breath, right? And so then the next step from there is to even remove that. Uh, but this is exactly the point that the most minimal experience of the human experience is exactly as you say, it is breath. So even the word for soul, etymologically, nafs, is related to the word for breath, nafath. Great. So absolutely, 100%, man. Thank you for sharing. Any other thoughts, reflections? So I think going back to the, the previous point you're mentioning about, uh, you know, dealing with people that go through crisis in terms of approaching, I think it's also emotional intelligence, knowing what to say in what moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was in my extreme phase, primate on Mazarfa. Uh, then you know, more that, extreme. Yeah, I, I actually, like, guys, be careful. The conversion rate really fast. But uh, in just dealing with, because I broke, I, I damaged a lot in relation with my own family members, taking that approach extreme and a sense of not like having the emotional intelligence, understanding how to approach in scenarios and situations. 
And that impacted me and my relationship, my personal, even my spiritual journey, not realizing how to approach it. So like, yeah, people, you know, you're, you'll be hit with challenges as oh, everything's alhamdulillah, everything's good. You know, when people ask, when you ask somebody, like when you meet, you'll see, hey, how's it going? Alhamdulillah, everything's good. Like they're on the top of the mountain. Alhamdulillah, everything is like, mm, okay, yeah. let's be real. Let's come down. Let's really ask you, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. The authenticity is kind of disconnected from our community because that, that we're giving right answers. We're not being real. Mm-hmm. I think that is a hundred percent correct. Because uh, a lot of our dean is performance. And I think it connects to a little bit with yesterday's topic with sub, because mm-hmm. um, I think um, just having uh, that sabr is also a form of mercy, whether you're patient for those who run you or you're patient for what's, you know, what's been bestowed upon you in one way. And another way I wanted to add, it could be a, li- it's a little bit related, it could be a little bit unrelated, but um listen to a lot of lectures of the correct um, way of basically um, speaking in Islam and how to basically, if, you know, someone is is being tested or let's just say you have two parents and they have their kids in school and one parent has their, um, their kid, um, barely attends, uh, poor, performs very poorly in class. So it tells you the best way you, you know, your approach is, uh, part of rahmah is to actually comfort that person. Don't, regardless if you're, you know, if you're maybe a child is an A plus honorable student and so on and forth. Uh, they say the best approach is to keep it very minimal. You know, maybe it's kids this generation; they're all like that. You say whatever to comfort that parent, uh, so you're not really basically touching that nerve. Uh, rather than say, oh, no, my child uh, did very well. I'm very proud of my child. So that's also some type of form of rahmah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Although I have to admit that there are some parents who I tell them, you're my job security. Keeping the parent the way you are, then you know I'll always have a job where kids are struggling. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Any other last thoughts, reflections, questions about anything at all? Zainab. Hey, Salam. Um, Yeah, I think it's just uh, like, especially like within our culture and our society, it's just understanding the concept that two things can exist at the same time that feel the complete opposite of each other, but it's just happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give an example. Um. I guess like kind of like what we're talking about, like the whole like understanding that something given to you was a mercy, but then also grieving and kind of going through what a lot of people would label as a negative emotion. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it's like, it's just an emotion. And so like even just understanding, sorry, I had the kids in the back, understanding that um, while also understanding that it's a mercy and that 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 is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in the healing process, you often need both. That uh, one moment you are appreciating that, okay, I'm going to get through this. And another moment, it's, gosh, this is the worst experience ever, you know. Or one moment, why am I being hit with this? Of all the things, why this? And another moment that, all right, Allah's going to give me the strength to get through. And yeah, this is very much the human experience. It is exactly as you say, these polar opposite or contradicting sentiments at the same time that if I went through all of you 
to list out some of your biggest struggles. And each of you would have horrendous struggles that are for you horrendous. And it'll include both of these combinations. The fact that you are here means automatically by definition you're persisting. Any other thoughts, questions, reflections about anything at all? Okay, then we will stop here, inshallah. We will continue tomorrow, maybe or maybe not fasting. The The math is against the fasting part, but we will see what happens, inshallah. I, I do have one more question. Yes, Yusuf. Um, so I'm a little bit new to this class. So my question is, on your approach of that, so what, from what I'm seeing is you're doing tafsir, but are you looking at the surah as a whole? Or are you, I mean, I, I see that we're doing each ayah, but after that, would you be looking at the, entire surah as a whole maybe as one message or will we get the chance to talk about it let's wait and as see. a whole connected one rather than just ayah by ayah now we will be looking at the whole surah as well inshallah okay inshallah. yeah think okay. of each of these phrases as little blocks building up a larger picture inshallah okay inshallah great anything else Alrighty. subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness, wa natubu ilayk, and we turn to you. Okay, may Allah ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and inshallah we will see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.